Welcome in to the newest edition of the Just In Time Sports Podcast. I am an owner and host of the Just In Time Sports Podcast and network and social media. Your host, Justin Jackson. And as always, don't forget to like, rate, subscribe, and to share with your friends um, the podcast and your sports rivals, for that matter, uh, the podcast. And also, don't forget to follow at uh, JTime Sports on social media. I repeat, at JTime Sports. That's on Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook uh, for your breaking news updates, some highlights, and different things around the sports world. Now, as always, again, if you're new here, welcome in. And if you're a returning guest, you know the rules. Sit back and get ready to learn something. in a row uh, when's the last time we did two weeks in a row mid-october of last year been about four months since we've gone back-to-back shows but we are in a back-to-back kind of mood uh, i'm excited again to be with you guys again second episode of season four if you missed kind of a four-month recap uh you were able to uh, get that in last week's episode um Again, it's kind of like a four-month recap, what's been going on in the sports world. If you've been under a rock for some reason for the last four months, you were able to get that information uh, with a little bit new, with a little bit more new stuff, uh, centric, obviously, but you were able to get that in last week's episode. But this week's stuff is sitting around what's been happening this week. Um, super excited about this week's episode. We're going to really get into the NBA. We got into it last week. Um... But now we're able to really get into the NBA. We're coming down that stretch run. It's about 20 games left for a lot of teams um, in the stretch run. We went from 21 to 19 games left in their seasons. Um, So a lot of stuff is really shaking out in terms of who's going for the play-in, who's kind of looking at that tank job, um, award situations, uh, potential coach taking over, different things of that nature. The NBA is really starting to shake out and how much to really trust those standings. So, to get you guys updated on what's been going on, we're going to jump into a standings look. We're going to go 1 through 12 in the East, and then 1 through 13 in the West, because the 12th and 13th seed in the West are separated by like a half a game. And I'm actually recording this um, during the games. Uh, You guys will get this on Thursday morning, but I'm recording it right now, uh, Wednesday night during the game. I'm actually watching Celtics and Cavs. Um, as I record this episode, so I don't want to, you know, Lakers and Oklahoma City are playing tonight. So I don't want to say, oh, Lakers are 12, OKC is 13, or Lakers are 12, don't include Oklahoma City being 13th, and then Oklahoma City beats them, and now you're looking at it should have been flipped. So I'm going to include both of those two, especially because they're playing tonight. Um, so I'll include both of them. But in the East, you have the Bucks. Uh, so again, at the time of this recording, it may be different tomorrow morning. But you have the Bucks, Celtics, 76ers, Cavs, Knicks. Oh, that's a juicy first-round potential matchup. Cavs and Knicks, we'll discuss that in a couple of seconds. Nets, Heat, Hawks with their new coach and Quinn Snyder. Uh, signed a five-year deal worth about 40 ish million. Um, he comes in this season. 
So it, that's a regime change. We'll discuss that as well. Uh, Toronto, Washington, Chicago, and Indiana is the 12th seed. Uh, and the reason I went to 12 in the East is because that's pretty much the last team I would think is going for the play-in. Now, there's teams right behind them, but it doesn't behoove those teams, if you catch my drift, um, to go for the play-in. And then you transition over to the West. You have the Nuggets, Grizzlies, and Kings. They've pretty much separated themselves out as the top three. Uh, it would be pretty shocking. It's possible. It's possible. But the way those three things, way those three teams rather, are playing, um, I don't see anybody else getting to the top three. So those are pretty much the top three. And then you have the Phoenix Suns with their new addition, Kevin Durant, who just finished his debut um, with his stat line being 23 and 6 on 10 of 15 shooting. So I don't expect many 30 point perform blub. Blow up performances, rather. So 35-40 from KD. But an efficient 23 to 27 points feels like something KD would do on a regular for them. Um, the Golden State Warriors, despite all their injuries, despite all the time stuff is missed, despite Draymond missing and Clay missing, moving on from Wiseman, etc., they're sitting at the five seed, um, which would be an incredibly interesting 4-5 matchup. Kevin Durant with the Suns playing against Golden State would be an incredibly interesting 4-5 matchup. You have the Los Angeles Clippers, the Dallas Mavericks, uh, the Minnesota Timberwolves are currently holding down the eighth spot. Then you got the Utah Jazz and the New Orleans Pelicans at 9 and 10. And then the Portland Trailblazers at 11. And then the Lakers and Oklahoma City are basically playing right now for the rights to 12. Um, so that's why they're both in the list instead of just having a true 12 and a true 13th because they're a half a game apart right now and they're playing currently. Um, so that is why both of them are included. Looking at some things that stood out in the standings immediately for me. Uh, so if you guys were not paying attention um, and you've been under a rock of some sort, the Sacramento Kings is the third seed in the West. And they have like a four and a half game, four game lead on the Phoenix Suns. Now, again, that's 20 games left. I said the Kings go 10 and 10. Suns go 15 and 5. They pass them up and they take three seed. Possible. Um, but I just don't see the Suns playing bad enough for that to be possible. I mean, the Kings, I beg your pardon, uh, bad enough to be possible. Because to me, if the Kings win 12 games, that would put the pressure on the Suns. If the Kings go 12 and 8, that would put the pressure on the Sun to go 16 and 4 um, over the last 20. And that's just that's a really hard ask. Uh, it's possible, but it's a really hard ask. So 12, 13 wins for the Kings over the rest of the season should secure them the three seed. The way they've been playing, I don't see that not happening. Um, so that means the Phoenix Suns are locked in at the four. Everything to me after that is up for debate. Um, legitimately right now, the Los Angeles Lakers has a shot at the sixth seed, which is the spot is the lowest spot you can be in, in, in truly in the playoffs without having to do with the playing tournament. Now that was pre LeBron injury. We'll get into that. Um, and I'm looking at teams above the Lakers. If you're a, if you're a Los Angeles Lakers fan, if you're a LeBron guy, um, and we'll dive into it a little bit more in a couple of seconds, but you're looking at it, you look at new Orleans, San Zion, we'll get into his injury. You look at the jazz. It does not behoove them to win basketball games. Uh, we'll get into that as well. Um, and so there's a couple of teams above the Lakers that I'm looking at could be teams that could slide down. Um, Sweden to the east side. They're pretty close together as well. The Hawks, they're integrating a new coach. Who knows how well they play down the stretch. Um, the Raptors were effectively fake sellers the deadline. A whole lot of smoke, no fire from Toronto. Um, so who knows what that situation is like in the locker room. You got the Washington Wizards. Bradley Bills cooking now. 
But you got guys like Kyle Kuzma could be looking at their next team, trying to get a, move on with their life. The Chicago Bulls, they have been almost torn apart about three separate occasions um, in this season. In the fact, they've been almost torn apart. And you look at um, how they have been, again, almost ripped apart. Levine was on the block, and then um, DeMar DeRozan was on the block. Then you heard Nikola Vucevic could go. They're already dealing with the Lonzo Ball injury, um, which he's been shut down pretty much for the second consecutive season, dealing with his knee injury. Um, sad case, really, for Lonzo. Just reportedly, it could be degenerative. Um, in terms of that, it's, it's uh, for football fans, Ty Gurley. Especially Ty Gurley. Ty, Ty Gurley had arthritis and other things. Lonzo Ball seems to be um, centered around uh, not a botched surgery, but a surgery that didn't go as well as the surgeon definitely could have hoped. Um, and so kind of not cleaning up original injuries, um, not dealing with the issue at hand, um, and then compounding it with a poor surgery seems to be the issue with Lonzo Ball. But it's been, he had his initial situations at the beginning of 2022, his initial surgery. He had one at the beginning of the year, one towards the end of the year. Um, and he still can't run or cut without pain. Um, he posted a video of him like baby dunking, for lack of a better term. He, you know, he's 6'6", so he kind of went up uh, to the front of the rim, launched off two, kind of landed on one, um, and dunked the ball, and it was the most encouraging thing we've seen from him athletically um, since the surgeries. So if you're a Lonzo Ball fan or a Chicago Bulls fan, that was encouraging. And then all of a couple of weeks later, we're getting the shutdown reports and that he can't run a cut without pain. Um, and so that was kind of sad to see. Um, and then his brother, uh, LaMelo, whose team is not in the standings, kind of a freak injury. Um, he's been dealing with... It left ankle all season. Went into the season with, I believe, the left ankle is the one he stepped on the uh, sideline. And he stepped on either a ref or a fan, I can't remember right now, uh, foot and sprained it. Uh, side note, Donovan Mitchell is absolutely cooking right now. Like, they're down by 17, but he has 40 on 27 shots. He's single-handedly attempting to keep the Cavs in this game. Uh, but Boston appears to be too much right now. Because uh, Tatum, I believe, himself has in the mid-30s. Um, and then back to LaMelo. So it was a pretty basic from what I was able to, I mean, I watched the video of it multiple times, uh, as Mitchell scores again, hobbling, uh, he's still not right, but he's trying to keep his team in it. Um, he literally is just dribbling at top of the key, does like a, just a crossover, a right to left attempted crossover and the ankle fractures, his right ankle fractures, which, uh, to me could be a situation from overcompensation maybe, um, because he had the left ankle all year. So maybe he was trying to figure out, you know, trying to do work on one ankle or overcompensating and put too much stress on the ankle. And finally it came to fruition, um, as he unfortunately fractures the ankle, shuts him down for the season. Um, so ball, both ball brothers that are in the NBA have been shut down for the season, um, due to injury. Um, so sad situation all the way around. But back to the standings. I'm looking at Utah at nine. And I spoke about it a minute ago that it does not behoove Utah to win basketball games. Utah knows they are not winning an NBA championship. They're fully aware of that. They don't have they don't have I mean there's no nobody in the building in Utah, including Lloyd Marketing, Colin Sexton, 
Dwayne Wade, the ownership group, like no one in the building of Utah is miffed or under the assumption they can win a title. So it does not benefit them to make the plan. You get what I'm saying? Because you're just hurting your lottery chances. Now, are they going to be a number one overall pick team? More than likely not. Um, are they going to be in the Victor Wimbenyama race? More than likely not. Are they going to be in the Scoot Henderson race? Again, more than likely not. But could they get into some of these other guys? You know, could they get into that five, six range? Very possible. Especially if they miss the playoffs. Because the way the play-in is set up, they, they'll be reseeded below the play-in teams. So they'll have top six, seven odds um, to get the number one overall pick, which means they're pretty much guaranteed a top five pick. Um, and so that would be huge. Uh, for Utah because um, you basically get back your top five pick last year and Chep Holmgren who missed all year due to injury um, and then you literally add another top five pick to him and that's not and that's saying the T-Wolves hold their spot because if they come all the way out of the playoffs that could be another lottery pick as well you can end up with two lottery picks um, I've had to be three lottery picks joining your already young team in Utah um, so that's the situation going on in Utah like I say, it doesn't benefit them to win games if I'm Utah, look, I like Laurie Markkinen. He's got an ankle sprain. I like Colin Sexton. Oh, he uh, was just not hes not ready. You know, it's like anybody that scores well one night, you don't play for a couple nights due to back tightness. Like, it, it doesn't benefit Utah to win games, which could create a situation where a spot is free. So instead of having to jump New Orleans or um, if you're Portland or the Lakers or OKC, you can just take the Utah spot. Um, it'll be a free spot. So it'll be, you know, instead of pretty much, I, I would guess one spot for three names, you might get two spots for three names. Now it gets interesting, um, as far as, um, how people get that done in the West and what people uh, want to do. Um, the Brooklyn Nets holding as the five, was it 60 right now? Holding as the 60 right now, Sands, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving. Granted, it's only been five or six games since the trade, but they're holding true. Mikael Bridges is shooting the ball really, really well. Um, ben Simmons is a disaster still. Cam Johnson is playing real. Cam Thomas is regressed back to the mean, but he could tell his potential still there. Nick Class is holding down the rim. Um, he's got a lot of power and anger to him. He dunked on Brooke Lopez last night and let Brooke know about it. Um, and so that's something that is big for the Nets. Jock Vaughn seems to be the great coach for them. Uh, so we're definitely enjoying. Uh, I'm definitely enjoying watching the Nets, and wouldn't mind seeing they would give Philly hell um, in the first round. I know about anything guard Embiid, but you look at everybody else; it's pretty guardable by the Nets. Um, so that is something that would be an interesting series. It'll be an interesting five or six game series. Philly will control it, but it would be interesting nonetheless. Uh, flipping to the West, speaking on the Kings real quick. Uh, the Kings have the best offense in the NBA. I think there is something like at 110 points per 100 possessions. Uh, best offense in the NBA. And when it gets to the crunch, the clutch time, uh, their offensive rating shoots up even higher. They're like 131 points per one, ever 100 possessions. Um, so they're the best offense in the NBA bar none. Uh, big credit to Mike Brown. They have not made the playoffs in 17, 18 years. It looks like they're going to be the three seed and have for home field advantage, home court advantage rather, for the first round of the playoffs. Um, my, so huge, huge, massive credit to Mike Brown, um, De'Aaron Fox, Malik Monk, um, and the rest of those guys in Sacramento. 
Um, a couple of trends I've noticed um, in the NBA. Luka and, and Kyrie are one and four as a duo. Not great. Since uh, Russell Westbrook joined the Clippers, they're 0-3. Not great. Uh, the Los Angeles Lakers were actually rolling. They had won three in a row. Pretty pretty good win, especially considering LeBron and AD really didn't play well in any of them, especially as a duo. Um, and then LeBron gets hurt. We'll talk about that in just a couple of minutes. Um, and then you look at the Knicks. Since they've made the... Um, since they have made the um, trade for Josh Hart, they're seven and zero. And so you look at this situation with the Knicks. You know they are um, absolutely improving. Um, Jalen Brunson's playing like a bona fide All Star. He's averaging basically thirty um, since the uh, since New Year's Day. Julius Randle's averaging twenty four since New Year's Day. They're getting off the bus with 55, 56 points. Um, so that's huge. Now you add in Josh Hart, who's not really shooting the ball a lot, but he's shooting it efficiently. Since joining the Knicks, he's shooting from three, I believe, 60%. Um, but he's only taking three a game. But still, I mean, it doesn't matter how many you're shooting. 60% is still 60%. Um, and so that is definitely um, huge for the New York Knicks. Tom Thibodeau's got them playing faster than any team, pretty much. We've seen... Um, We've seen play for Tibbs at all. And uh, so they're still playing defense. They're still playing hard. They're still fighting, um, which is a Thibodeau's staple. But now they've got a little bit more flair and a little bit more uh, offense to them, uh, which is huge. Something that people complained about for years with Tibbs when he was in Chicago, how his team basically had no offense. It was the Derrick Rose show. Um, and then when Derrick Rose got hurt, unfortunately, it was a Jimmy Butler show. Like, it was pretty much he had one guy, and then that one guy was the guy. And so it's kind of what happened in New York. Julius Randle was supposed to be the guy for offense. Like, he would get you a 25. He'd be responsible for 40 a night, you know, 25, 7, and 6. Would be what Julius Randle would did. The whole team pushed together, get you another 60, 65, and you would try to win games 105, 102. Um, and now with Jalen Brunson, you can still try to win games 105-102, but now you've got two bona fide scores in Brunson and Randall. Uh, so big news uh, or big deal for the Knicks. For the first time since pre-Carmelo Anthony, um, they have the ability now to say, okay, we've got great pieces. Now we just need a superstar. So if you're a Bradley Beal, do you eye the New York Knicks? Um, Brunson, Beal, and Randall's a hell of a trio. It wouldn't take uh, that much, I would think, to get them out of Washington. The Knicks have a lot of picks and a lot of young guard assets that if you're going to have a team with Brunson and Bill, you're going to have to move some of those young guards anyway. Um, that would be an interesting situation for uh, Bradley Bill to come to. If Damian Lillard ever decides to uproot himself, um, ever decides to uproot himself from Portland, that would be a very interesting situation as well with the Knicks. Going from Portland to MSG, again, same situation. They have a lot of picks, and they got a lot of young guards. Again, if Damon Brunson's going to be your backcourt, you're going to have to free up some guard minutes somehow, some way. Um, so that is a very interesting situation to monitor in New York. Of course, if we hear anything, we will definitely um, keep our eye on that. But shifting onto the injury front, playing a little doctor at the moment. Um, so LeBron James obviously uh, hurt his right foot. He reportedly heard something pop when he was, uh, he said it on the ground. He said that I heard it pop. I heard it pop. 
He did the LeBron thing. He laced up and played the rest of the game. Um, ended up winning the game against Dallas um, when he heard the injury. Shortly after, he said he's out, uh, reportedly came out. I reported it along with several others that he would be out in a definite amount of time with that right foot injury. You know, Brian Windhorst reported on um, his podcast, uh, I can't think of it right now, Hoop Collective uh, podcast, that he was being told that it was some sort of tissue injury, um, but he didn't really want to run with it, run with it, because he couldn't get it confirmed how he would like. Um, but he reported some sort of tissue injury, and then not so long, right around the same time, Shams reported that um, it was looking like a two- to three-week thing, and then Rose reported that it was looking like two weeks for the reevaluation point, and then the Lakers would kind of see where they were in the standings before um, deciding what to do with LeBron. Um, so, to me, that tells me we're looking at something similar to what Curry had in the ankle, except now it's in the foot and there's less time to deal with it. Plus, Curry had a better situation around him in terms of, you know, core and winning and stuff like that. Because the Lakers did put together a decent team after the deadline, but AD is dealing with his right foot management, or uh, his right foot management. D'Angelo Russell twisted his ankle in, like, game one or two as a Laker. Um, And so, you know, those two guys would be the guys that would help carry it, but they aren't available uh, as much as they would like. And so a LeBron James injury is a lot more critical and a lot more painful to deal with than it would be in another situation. But we would definitely keep you guys updated on that whenever we get more information. Uh, Zion Williamson, the New Orleans Pelicans, is going to be reevaluated in one week. He's dealing with a hamstring situation that we know he heard against the Philadelphia 76ers. Um, and he was supposed to come back right around All-Star break, re-aggravated it. And so they're going to do further imaging on the hamstring um, in about a week. Um, So we'll get more information on Zion at that point. And in the game I'm watching, Donovan Mitchell came up a little bit lame in uh, his giddy-up, but he's currently still cooking the Celtics. He's up to 44, 46 points right now, about 317 left in the game. Even though the Cavs are down 14, this has to feel like he's back in Utah because nobody's really helping him in this game at all, especially in the second half. Um, I'm sure we'll get some sort of status on him. Um, I wouldn't be shocked if he misses a game or two. It was in the growing region. I'm pretty sure he's running on adrenaline right now. Um, he's carefully choosing his spots. Um, definitely, if there's a fast break of the ball in front of him, he's not chasing it in terms of offensively. Um, and then when he gets the ball, it's quick, decisive movements. Is definitely nothing um, to, to freelance. He's at 44 right now on 17 to 30 shooting. But Tatum has 39 on 13 of 19 shooting as Darius Garland misses another shot. And like I said, no one's really helping Mitchell out. Karis LeVert just jacked up one and bricked it as well. Um, and so no one's really helping Mitchell out. Um, he just missed badly himself. Um, kind of was, to me, felt like the last ditch effort shot of the game because about 245 left and they're down 15. Um, but so I'll be, I'll be wondering what his status is for the next couple of games. Like I said, it was in the growing region. Um, that could be tricky. All right. And then lastly, for the NBA, we're going to jump into some award predictions really quickly. Um, my MVP predictions that Jokic gets his third, uh, Nikola Jokic of the Denver Nuggets picks up his third in a row. My most improved player prediction is Lori marketing of the Utah jazz. Um, my coach of the year is Mike Brown of the Sacramento Kings. 
it's the Kings. I mean, Joe Mazzula, I mean, I'm hearing him a lot for the Boston Celtics. The situation he jumped in was tough as far as personal, but Brad Stevens put together a hell of a basketball team. They were in the finals last year. They're the number one seed again this year. To me, that's not really a coaching of the year honor. The Kings haven't made the playoffs in 17 years, and if, 17, 18 years, and if all holds, the Kings will be the third seed in the NBA in the, in the Western Conference. Um, and with the best offense in the league and one of the best clutch offenses in league history. So that's, to me, kudos to Mike Brown. Um, my sixth man of the year is Malcolm, is Malcolm Brogdon of the Boston Celtics, but Russell Westbrook would have had a better case had he stayed on the Lakers. But after his trade, and they just took Mitchell out, uh, he's kind of hobbling to the bench, 43 minutes, uh, 44 points, 17 to 31 shooting, four rebounds, four assists. Like I said, that last three he shot that was short kind of felt like the last-ditch effort. Uh, now they take him out with 136 left down 13. Um, but Russell Westbrook would have had, to me, my vote if he stayed on the Lakers. But because of his trade and his subsequent release and now he's on the Clippers, I just think Malcolm Brogdon having that impact on the Celtics all year is going to be the sixth man of the year. Defensive player of the year is Jaron Jackson Jr. of the Memphis Grizzlies. He has a massive block lead. His defensive analytic numbers are through the roof. Um, and so and he shows the ability, unlike Rudy Gobert, when he wanted to guard multiple positions and to be able to play the game at a high level in multiple ways. And then my rookie of the year is no doubt about it, no ifs, ands, or buts, Paolo Bancaro of the Orlando Magic is my um, rookie of the year, and I don't think it's close. Like I said, there's no doubt about it. Um, not even a debate, a discussion, a decision to be made. It's Paolo Bancaro of the uh, Orlando Magic. But up next, we're going to shift to the NFL and just give you guys a quick off-season look at what's going down with the Shield. Welcome back into the show. Um, that Cavs-Celtics game I was talking about actually just went final. That got really, really tight. It actually only ended up being a four-point game at the end um, because Garland ends up hitting two back-to-back threes. Like That game gets really tight at the end. Uh, Boston hangs on by four, though. Um, Mitchell... Finishes with 44. He gets another assist at the end. Uh, but Tatum beats him with 41, 11, and 8. Um, and Boston wins by 4. Because Garland, like I said, ends up hitting a couple of crazy threes at the end. Pull-up threes uh, in the end in transition. Um, but anyway, this is not a basketball segment. This is the NFL segment. And like I said, we're going to talk to you guys about what's going down a little bit in the offseason. Talk about some draft stuff as combine weekend is getting closer and closer. Um, so we're going to talk about what's going down there. The combine is right around the corner, actually. Um, so the speaking of the combine, of course, there's a number one pick. When there's a number one pick, the Chicago Bears have the number one pick, and they already have a quarterback. And so usually in situations like this, the automatic response is to trade the pick. But you had a quarterback, you have a quarterback, quote-unquote, and you have the number one pick, and that quarterback didn't get hurt. So 
that could definitely lead to doubt about that pick. And there was a lot of conjecture. And there still is a lot of conjecture and a lot of ideas about what to do with the number one pick of the Chicago Bears because you have Justin Fields in-house. Um, there is no clear-cut dominant quarterback in this draft. Anthony Richardson has flown up the draft boards. I watched Anthony Richardson a lot in college on the game tape. I don't see it. Um, but he's flown up the draft boards. C.J. Stroud and Bryce Young have been there all season. Uh, you've got Will Levis out of Kentucky. So you've got several options at quarterback. No real dominant number one can't miss. You know, this is the clear-cut quarterback here um, in this draft. And so if the Bears were considering moving off from Justin Fields, they'd basically be taking another gamble of sorts. Because I, I believe C.J. Stroud and Bryce Young are franchise guys. The jury's out to me on Will Levis. I don't see it. I watched a few Kentucky games. I don't see it. The jury's all the way out on Anthony Richardson. I don't see it at all. Um, I see the raw talent, but even when they compared him, they compared him to Cam Newton. And Mr. Cam Newton, Justin Fields. Justin Fields' team, well, he quarterback to the number one pick. And Cam Newton never really developed a down-the-field passing game. He had one elite year. He had one pretty good year of accuracy. He made it to the Super Bowl. And before and after that, he was not the most accurate guy on the accurate guy on the planet to be kind um so he's but what do those guys have in common they're both incredible athletes they both have all the physical tools you would want in your quarterback cam a 6-6 version of justin fields basically um and both underperformed in their careers now cam does have an mvp and can just have a super bowl appearance but before and after that year it was rough um justin fields doesn't have any of that on his resume. And like I said, quarterbacks his team to the number one overall selection. So, now I don't like the roster Ryan Pace put around him at all, which are Ryan Pace and ownership agreed. Ryan Pace was summarily dismissed. And they have a new general manager who has no loyalty to Justin Fields. He didn't pick him. Ryan Pace did. Um, and so, that is a situation to watch Chicago, where reports are now that the Bears have strongly considered and more than likely will trade the number one pick. Speaking of the potential number one pick, uh, University of Georgia defensive lineman Jalen Carter was served a um, arrest warrant um, for two misdemeanor charges uh, related to a fatal car crash of a teammate and a staffer on the on, on the University of Georgia staff. Um, he was served with reckless uh, driving and racing, um, and so he was supposed to meet with uh, members. Uh, team members, uh, team executives, members of the media at the NFL Combine. Of course, after this warrant was released, he did not do that activity. He instead um, has gone home to Georgia or gone back to Athens, Georgia, per his... Um, oh, wow, the Pelicans in Portland are only a half game apart. I knew the West was close. Um, six through 12 is three games apart. Five through 12 is three games apart. Um, three and a half, you go five through 13. Um, so bad week, you can be out of the playoff picture, out of the playing picture. But anyway, um, so Jalen Carter um, gets on a plane, goes back to Athens. Um, he announces that he, uh, in a statement, states that uh, he will cooperate fully. He, you know, the charges are not true, and he will be fully exonerated once he uh, talks to authorities again from this tragic incident that ends up a uh, car crash, ends up with uh, losing the life. Uh, life be, lives being lost of a teammate and a, and a female staffer at the University of Georgia. Um, sad situation all the way around. 
is something that he's going to have to answer for regardless. I mean, he can go down and talk to the Georgia authorities. They can release a statement saying he's fully exonerated like he believes he will be, and he will still have to answer uh, about this incident in the pre-draft process. I mean, they ask you about if your mother, why your mother was arrested when you were three, like you have any idea, or why you changed schools when you went from second to third grade. You know, like the NFL draft guys asked you all kind of crazy stuff, even making up stuff about you. You know, it, it, uh, Darius Geis, I believe, famously um, reported that, like, you know, um, told that one team asked him, like, what did his mother do crack? Or something like that. I mean, it's outlandish things. And it's similar to what Lyle Collins um, had to go through when he was uh, in the pre-draft process. For those of you who don't remember, uh, Lyle Collins coming out of LSU, um, local Baton Rouge radio and TV um, started reporting a, it was a murder that happened in Baton Rouge. Um, And they end up linking the young lady who unfortunately lost her life to Lyle Collins. And almost kind of was making it seem like they were still they were still dating. If they weren't still dating, then the angle kind of took a Lyle could have known something about it and didn't tell anybody. Um, there was multiple um, kind of connections that the media, local local media of all people, um, were trying to connect with Lyle Collins and this young lady again, who unfortunately lost her life. Um, and so Lyle Collins was a projected first round pick coming out of LSU. Um, no lower than a second round. And he ends up going, I believe, undrafted. Rex Ryan flew to Baton Rouge to meet with them. And Rex came, he kind of told his story to Rex Ryan. Um, and then Rex came out of it saying he had full confidence in whatever Lyle was saying. Dallas Cowboys showed interest as well. They ended up being the one who picked Lyle up. Um, but he lost tens of millions of dollars through that connection. Now, I don't know if Jalen Carter will have the same issue. Um, you know, I, I do hope for his sake he is fully exonerated. Um, but I don't know what it will affect in his draft stock. Just seeing the reaction from fans, people are, if you're not the top three pick, let's say you're Philly, um, I've seen several Philly fans mention, man, we want him to fall to us at 10. It's kind of like they're not really concerned about the charge, considering it is, you know, misdemeanor warrant kind of took it as they want information from Carter. Um, but we're definitely going to keep our eye on that. But he definitely plans to meet um, with the authorities in Athens, Georgia, clear his name, and then continue on with his football career. Um, several high-level, um, several high draft, former high draft picks uh, have been released. Um, Marcus Mariota was released. Uh, he was the number one, two overall pick in his draft. He was released by the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, Carson Wentz, another number two overall pick in his draft, was released by the um, Washington Commanders, which neither one of the, Marcus Mariota was a little more surprising than Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz, the writing been on the wall since Taylor Heineke played pretty decently well in his stead. Um, and so saving $26 million, it was just the ideal thing to do. Um, and then Leonard Fournette and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers effectively mutually agreed for Fournette to be released out of his contract. He was only going to make a couple of million dollars next year. Um, and he kind of decided that, you know, Brady's gone. Um, the team winning is not high. They have to release cash space as is. There's a couple of running backs already in the system. And so Leonard Fournette decides to, and Leonard Fournette and the team kind of like I said, mutually agree for Fournette to move on um, and to be released um, 
from his contract with the Bucks. Uh, he's 28, so I expect Fournette to have several suitors. Um, I expect Mariota to have interest and Carson Wentz to have interest. Now, was the dollar they're willing to play for, and in what situation is the key? Um, I don't see a I don't see a starting spot out there for Carson Wentz or Marcus Mariota originally. Now, can they get into someone's camp and, and battle and compete? For instance, Vegas could be a spot for Carson Wentz or Marcus Mariota. Mariota was there before. Um, he may end up going back. He was there with John Gruden. Um, he may end up going back. Vegas, currently, their quarterback is Stidham. It's Jared Stidham. They don't really have a plan for the quarterback position. Um, Sands hoping someone falls in the draft or, you know, I mean, the big free agent fish is Derek Carr, and he's the reason, and they're the reason he's the free agent. Um, and so are they, maybe they get into the Lamar Jackson mix, but with what assets and what draft picks? We need a lot more than Lamar Jackson. Um, so maybe they, you know, decide to go two years, 40 million on Carson Wentz um, and kind of sees what happened there. Um, Josh McDaniels kind of likes the Carson Wentz style quarterbacks. Uh, so that would be very interesting uh, to see if Wentz ends up a um, Las Vegas Raider. I don't know why that kind of stuck out to me just now. Wentz ending up on the Raiders. Um, transitioning over to the Rams. So as you guys know, they have put Jalen Ramsey on the trade block. They're already negotiating with several teams regarding a Jalen Ramsey trade. Do not expect Jalen Ramsey to be a Los Angeles Ram next season. Um, the Rams need, I reported it myself, the Rams need assets and they need cap space. Um, they have neither. And so I expect them to start selling off stars. Um, They've already released Bobby Wagner. That was kind of a mutual agreement. It saved cat space, and it also um, allowed Bobby Wagner to go try to find a winner. He wants to win at the stage of his career. He's made his money, and so um, he's saving some cat space with the Rams. He's going to try and get a good deal on a contending team, which is what he thought he was doing by leaving the Seattle Seahawks and getting to the Los Angeles Rams, but then injuries kind of tanked their season. Um... And then so now Jalen Ramsey's on the block now. I expect him to be traded right around draft time. The Rams lose a lot of their really motivation and ability to move Ramsey if he's not done during sometime during the draft. Uh, I'm sure the asking price is at least one first round pick uh, to try and recoup some of those assets they traded for these guys. And now to me, the all eyes rest on Aaron Donald. Aaron Donald was walking away from the game after the Super Bowl victory. He was good. He was a first ballot Hall of Famer. He had the greatest, um, you know, seven or eight, uh, eight or nine year run as a defensive lineman ever, especially from start to finish. Um, he was he was good. He had his Super Bowl ring. He had made his money. He had his generational wealth. He had a Super Bowl ring. He was walking away, and then the Rams came back with a boatload of guaranteed dollars, and they convinced Aaron Donald to come back and continue playing. Um. And so now all I point to him. Does he walk away? Uh, he dealt with some injuries last year. The team obviously did not play well. Um, so maybe he decides to, hey, now is the time, you know. I've dealt with a lot. I fought through a lot. Now it's time to walk away. No, maybe he decides that. I'm not sure. But definitely the Rams will be looking to move assets, to move uh, people, free up some money, and get some draft capital back. Um... Daniel Jones, uh, going to the quarterback market a little bit. Daniel Jones reported looking for $45 million a year. Um, 
there's no way on God's green earth I'm paying uh, Daniel Jones the same amount of money as Patrick Mahomes. It's not happening. Um, Derek Carr, I, mean, I heard Derek Carr went from 27 to 35. So if Derek Carr's looking 27 to 35, Daniel Jones should be looking somewhere around 27 to 35. He gets a small advantage due to youth. Um, he gets a small advantage due to he's in his own situation. He's already on the contract. And he's already had a successful year under the new coach, Brian Dable. But he should not be looking for, you know, 18, anywhere from 10 to $18 million more than Derek Carr. Um, so that's just not a thing I'm willing to do for Daniel Jones. There's no way on God's green earth. If I'm the Giants, he's stuck on that number. I transition franchise tag him, which is a little, or non-exclusive franchise tag him, which is a little bit less than the exclusive franchise tag. If someone wants them, give us two first-round picks. You can have them. Um, but there's no way I'm giving uh, Daniel Jones $45 million a season unless a lot of it's non-guaranteed and a lot of it's incentive-based. Um, then we can discuss it. And then Lamar Jackson still has not, from what I've been told, even been offered a franchise tender. Uh, they're still negotiating with the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, we get a lot of conflicting reports from a lot of sides. Um, we do know that that last deal was offered. only had $133 million guaranteed. Um, when you look at what Kyler, uh, Russell Wilson, some of these other guys got, what you anticipate Joe Burrow and Josh Allen to get, you know, Jalen Hurts to get, Lamar Jackson can't take that kind of level of contract. Um, and so now there's reports that if the right package of picks comes back for Lamar, then Lamar Jackson could be available for trade. Um, so that is an interesting situation. If you're a Baltimore Ravens fan, I know a couple. Uh, they're all kind of watching this. They're all kind of over the drama. It's been two years now of I'm only negotiating during the offseason. I'm not going to negotiate during the season. There's a, there's a conflicting reports left and right. Um, so who knows what's going down with Lamar Jackson. But, of course, we're going to keep our um, eyes on that situation as he is the biggest fish that can potentially move um, in the offseason. But up next, we're going to shift to the best for last, which is pretty dope. Uh, my first XFL game, um, I actually covered it uh, thanks to an anniversary gift. Um, and so I am going... Um, I am going to see, I'm going to talk about that rather in just one moment right after the break. Welcome back into the show, and um, we're going to do best for last here. Side note, I'm watching the Portland Trailblazers and New Orleans Pelicans. Matisse Thibault has blocked two shots from behind. He blocked McCullum on a jumper three from behind um, that led to a dunk, and then he just blocked a Brandon Ingram floater from behind. That's freakish. Um, but anyway, so back to best for last. I uh, attended a XFL game. Uh, recently, it was uh, this past weekend was an anniversary gift from my wife, um, and so I attended an XFL game um, recently. It was the uh, Houston uh, uh, Houston Roughnecks versus the Arlington Renegades um, in Houston on the University of Houston campus. Um, beautiful facilities, by the way, uh, just from what I was able to see at the University of Houston campus, um, as far as stadium and as far as um, 
you know, what you were able to see. We ended up, because uh, they had a lot of stuff sectioned off for the game, and then it had some construction going on on campus, um, ended up riding through campus a little bit. Beautiful campus, like right across, uh, whether like a river or a lake. It looks like got to be one of the most affluent neighborhoods in Houston. I mean, big, beautiful houses. Um, as I said, the campus itself was beautiful. Um, the stadium was really nice, well laid out. Um, you know, wasn't really under stress stress because it wasn't at full capacity for the XFL game as it would be for, you know, let's say a college game, you know, where it's packed to the max. So you're kind of able to see some of the um, abilities of the arena. But like I said, the XFL had pop-up shops in multiple locations. They were running the full concession stand. Um, pretty cool to see, like I said, the XFL live. Um, first time seeing the kickoff and the punt rule live. Um, I like it. It's kind of an interesting wrinkle. So um, if you guys don't know, the XFL has modified a few of the NFL standard rules aimed at concussion, pace of play, um, and, you know, just trying to tie some new rules. Concussion, injury, concussion, risk, pace of play, um, and injuries in general is kind of the main focus of several rule changes in the XFL. Um, ones I noticed rather immediately with the kickoff rule, obviously. Um, so instead of the NFL traditional lineup on the 35 or whatever, kick the ball up, everybody runs down and try to make a play. The XFL lines up guys, I believe five to 10 yards apart from each other. No, and the ball and the kicker's by himself on the other end at the 35. He kicks it. So these they're two, they're lined up across the field, 10 across the field. They're about five to 10 yards apart. The kicker kicks it. No one is allowed to move until, except the kicker, he can start jogging down. But no one else is allowed to move except for the returner to adjust to the ball. Once the returner catches it, then everybody can move. The reason why this is done is a lot of times those lines are at that point anyway when, the, when he catches the ball. But now, instead of a 40-yard collision, bam, head start, it's 5 to 10 yards. So the collision is a lot less is a lot less powerful, but you still get the gist of the job of the kickoff. Um, looking at the punt rule, so their punt rule is set up pretty much like the NFL, except you cannot pass the line of scrimmage until the punt is kicked. Now this is interesting in terms of making the punt return a rather interesting play because there was to me a lot bigger windows in the punt return of game with not being able to run forward until the ball is kicked. Um, the Renegades actually end up getting a penalty for that because um, on a Marquette King punt, I think he held it, who looked good, by the way. He looked like he should be in the NFL. Marquette King may have held it another beat than they were supposed to, and one of the guys turned up field. Because um, what I noticed is both teams, to get their guys moving, they'll start the gunners way out. When the ball is snapped, they'll jog laterally, and right before the ball is kicked, they'll turn up. Um, so that's kind of what's the strategy, I guess, to keep them moving instead of just coming out of a track stance. You're still kind of jogging, and then right before the ball is kicked, they'll speed up um, and go towards the return. So that was interesting. The extra point rule. There's no extra point in the XFL in terms of there's no, you know, line up, kick the ball through the through, through, through the uprights. Um, you can do, take a – everything's a two-point conversion style, but you can do it from the two-yard line for one point, the five-yard line for two points, or the 10-yard line for three points. What that means is in one possession, you can get nine points. Um, that made it very interesting towards the end of the game because at one point, the 
Roughnecks had the ball with about three-ish, four-ish minutes left, up nine, or up three. They were up three with the ball. And I was uh, telling my wife, I was like, hey, you know, you know, she didn't know all the rules or whatever. But all of a sudden, I was like, hey, they have to score and get the conversion. And I'm thinking in my head as a coach, like, okay, what do you do in a situation? One, you have to score the touchdown. Because let's say you kick a field goal, because it's a field goal still in, you kick a field goal, they come down and score and get three on you. Now you're down three. And, you know, you got to drop, you know, instead of just being down one or two, you're down three now. But I'm saying if you get the extra point, if you get the touchdown, what do you do? Because when you'll be up nine, is if your best play is from the five, but you're thinking in your head, we just need one point, do you abandon your best play for the sake of getting the one point? Now, ultimately, Houston end up getting uh, seven in that possession, going up ten, and they were safe. Um, in the rough, in the renegades, turn the ball up anyway. It doesn't matter. But it's a very interesting twist. You know, what do you do in that situation? Let's say the roughnecks were only up two, um, and they get six. Now they're up eight. In a traditional NFL game, you line up, kick the extra point, you're up nine, and you're safe. Um, but in the XFL, you get the one point conversion. You're up nine. They can come back, score a touchdown, get a three-point conversion. Now the game is tied. Um, you know, do you go for two in that situation? There's a lot of different coaching situations that has to be done, a lot of different things, because now anything from six, seven, eight, and nine points are not all attainable in one drive. Um, and so that makes a lot of different interesting coaching decisions. Um, so that's always fun. When you look at... Uh, and then, of course, we didn't get to see it in action, but the 4th and 15 instead of the um, onside kick. So, again, the onside kick, but you have the option at any point in the game to go for basically what's deemed or what's considered a 4th and 15 from your own 25-yard line. You get it, you keep driving down the field, and you convert it to 4th and 15. You don't get it, the opposing team gets the ball wherever the ball is dead. Um, so, if it's incomplete pass, they get it on the 25-yard line. If it's, you know, you get... 13 out of it, they get it on the, you know, 20, 38. Um, so that's kind of um, the different rule changes. Also, the clock runs a lot in the XFL. I don't know the exact timing rules, but I did notice pretty much outside of the two-minute warning, unless it was a timeout or the player ran out of bounds, the clock ran. Um, incomplete passes, the clock was moving. So if there was already a running clock, the clock ran for pretty much everything from what I can tell. And they also have a challenge rule um, where you can challenge anything. So a lot of times in the NFL, uh, especially people who are not as knowledgeable, they'll say like, oh man, that was passing the fans. You can't challenge that? And the answer is no. Um, and so that's kind of the situation. Uh, the, you know saying? The answer would be no. Uh, in the XFL, we actually got to see it in action. Uh, the Renegades, oh no, the Roughnecks actually challenged a defensive contact penalty. Um, down the field that wasn't called. They said, well, you, we think you missed this flag. Go look at it. Um, and so they ultimately did go look at it. They end up ruling that indeed it was not um, defensive holding, defensive legal contact, whatever. But you had that ability. Also, you only have one challenge in the XFL. But you had that ability to go look at a flag that wasn't even called. I love that rule. My, my brain immediately went to Saints-Rams. With the famous not uh, pass interference, no call. If Sean Payton had the option 
you know, that was before the two-minute warning. If Sean Payton had the option to go review that call, um, are the Saints playing the pace in the Super Bowl instead of the Rams? Because if the uh, Saints get that first down, they're taking knees out the rest of that game, and it's uh, Patriots, um, it's Patriots Saints in the Super Bowl. Um, who knows how that goes? Because the Patriots only scored 13 points on the Rams. So who knows how that goes? But you know, so I said I thoroughly enjoyed my experience. The fans were engaged. It was raucous. I love the rules. Um, the rule changes were great. They have a thing where they're only selling lower bowl tickets. So the upper bowl is completely empty. Even though I think Seattle or uh, one of the teams now, St. Louis maybe, so much demand that they're opening the upper bowl uh, to fans now. But uh, most, every other team in the league, the other 17 in the league are doing lower bowl exclusives. So on TV, you really get that aesthetic of everybody's together. And in the crowd, you don't have, you know, maybe a crowd of 10,000. You know, you don't have them spread out over the whole stadium, over the whole 45, 50,000 seat stadium. You have them that 10, 12,000 and a 15,000 seat stadium. So now it looks like a lot of the areas are full. It's a lot of crowd interactions, a lot of fan interactions. Um, so I definitely enjoyed my experience with the XFL. Um, I could definitely see myself going to, let's say Houston makes the playoffs and host the game. I can definitely see myself going to Houston. Uh, the USFL has a team in New Orleans. I don't know if they're all in Birmingham this year again. I, I don't know off the top of my head. Uh, but that, you know, gives me hope for the USFL if they're playing in New Orleans to make go check out a New Orleans game. Or even taking a trip to Birmingham to go to uh, one of the days. Because they have, like, jam sessions, basically, where they play two or three games back-to-back in the, in the USFL. They did it last year all in the Birmingham site. Um, but all in all, great experience. The Rock has a gold mine on his hands. I cannot wait to see how this league expands further um, and what they do with their next steps, basically. Um, but that is all we have for today. Um, I hope you guys have a great rest of your day. Like I said, I'm recording this on Wednesday night as Cam Reddish is losing his mind for the Portland Trailblazers. He scored their last 11. Um, good job, Tibbs. Um, but even though he got Josh Hart, guy he wanted. So, hey, it is what it is. But, um, again, this is recorded on Wednesday night. You guys will get it on Thursday morning. Um, so again, some of my standards may be a little off if you listen to the NBA segment because teams are moving and adjusting around. Um, but again, I hope you guys have a great rest of your Thursday. Uh, I hope you guys enjoy, uh, this podcast. Remember to like, rate, and subscribe uh, to the podcast. Tell your friends and your sports rivals. And also, um, don't forget to follow the social media handle at J time sports. I repeat at J time sports or type in just in time sports. Um, and you'll see my face with our logo. Um, and that will be uh, what you should follow on all social media, Facebook, TikTok, Instagram, and Twitter uh, for updates, breaking news, and these days highlights. So I hope you guys had a great time. And again, this is your owner and host, Justin Jackson, signing out.